The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Tuesday, April 6th, and I am live from a bunker in an undisclosed location for a Super Friends makeup mailbag after we missed last week's bag of mail. Joining me on the show, John Breach, Ryan Wilson. What's up, fellas? Uh, makeup mailbag sounds like we broke up and this is our Get Back Together podcast where we... <laughs> By the way, people, you miss it. Hopefully Debo recorded this, but Brinson had 45 minutes of meltdown. It was fantastic. <laughs> this was Vesuvius erupting type meltdown by Brinson. You rarely, rarely see this. Clearly he has reached his last straw from his bunker, <coughs> his in-laws house. And you know, you can only <laughs> take so much before you explode. And Brinson had that. Brinson, it's nice to see you back to normal though. I, I mean, I'm mostly annoyed that my AirPods won't work with my laptop, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, whatever. The internet here is actually very good. Um, reminder that if you want a mailbag question answered, you can submit a five-star review. Also in the feed, Mock Draft Monday 8.0, recorded it last week with Ryan Wilson. We'll have plenty of draft talk coming up over the next month as things get heated up. And uh, while you're at it. You know, while you're, while you're subscribing to podcasts and leaving five star reviews, don't forget that this week, it's Masters Week, baby. A week unlike any other is finally here. The Masters returns to Augusta National where Dustin Johnson will defend his green jacket that he earned in November. Go join the first cut golf podcast where the entire crew is previewing this year's tournament from storylines to picks and even daily fantasy advice. The first cut has you covered the first cut golf podcast available wherever. You're listening to this podcast. You can, um, it's going to be a fun week for the first cut too, because, uh, Kyle Porter, who are, are a good friend of the show, um, he, uh, you know, he, he's a big Jordan Spieth fan. And I think he may have made like a veiled, uh, like Jesus Easter reference about Jordan Spieth because Spieth won for the first time since the British Open in 2017 on, uh, Sunday at the Valero Texas Open. And now he's one of the two top two betting favorites at the Masters behind only reigning champion DJ. He's ahead of Bryson DeChambeau, ahead of Rory, ahead of Justin Thomas, ahead of fresh father John Rahm. It's crazy. Uh, well, I haven't watched golf in 10 years. So where's VJ singing Phil Mickelson and all this? Oh, uh, um, <laughs> Phil is like 100 to 1 now. 
Okay. That sounds well, 10 years ago. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, Phil was like 10 to one 10 years ago. Uh, I think VJ's playing fun fact. Well, this is not really a fun fact, but um, do you remember uh, Angel Cabrera? Of course I do. Right. Angel, do you know who Angel Cabrera is? Uh, of course. Right. Everybody knows who Angel Cabrera is. Well, I was doing some research for DFS purposes and looked. Oh, up- wait, wait. Sorry. Angel Cabrera. Actually, I was confused. Angel Cabrera is the, the heavy set guy from Argentina. Correct. Not Miguel and Hal Jimenez. I was thinking of the mechanic. That's, yeah, gotcha. That's the mechanic who smokes cigs and does like. Angel Cabrera. Games. Yes. I love him too. Go ahead. So if you're wondering whether or not you should pick Angel Cabrera in your majors pool, your masters pool, your DFS lineup, I'm going to tell you that's a hard no. And here's why. Uh, here's his latest uh, player update. I think it's on rotowire.com. Cabrera is not in the field for the masters analysis. Cabrera is not as eligible to participate in the Masters as a former champion, but he is in no position to play as he is currently being held in a Brazilian federal prison awaiting extradition to his home country of Argentina. So that's right. I remember, so he won. God, it's been. Can you bet on how long he'll be in prison? <laughs> Probably. I'll, you can bet on anything. Out I'll there. take the over because it's a Brazilian prison. <laughs> who was, uh, who was the guy that he beat from Kentucky in the Masters that year? Remember that? It was that in was a playoff. A- oh, um, I think he was a Kentucky oh, it, it's, it's like It's a Chris DeMarco type, but it's not. He was an old-timer. That's right. We can talk about that later. But that's that's uh, people are yelling at their iPhone listening devices. But uh, week. We can, I mean, you know, you kind of expect. Uh, I totally forgot I how Cabrera won that year. Yeah, there was a playoff, too. Yeah, there was a playoff. Who did, uh, hold on. He's El Pato. What did he win? In the, it was the 2009 Masters. Oh, Chad Campbell and Kenny Perry. Kenny Perry is who I was thinking about. Yeah, Kenny Perry definitely from Kentucky. That was a wild – it's crazy to think about, like, those three guys being the Masters playoff matchup when you have this, like, insanely deep uh, group of of golfers. And that was a great finish with three guys and no one – I can't imagine anyone predicted those guys were going to be in the running by the the I will give you two two sleepers, two young sleepers when you're filling out your pool. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, my guy, and Will Zalatoris. Two guys to look at. Uh, Daniel Berger, also a pretty good odds. Uh, uh, odd, in terms of odds, is like, I think like 40 to one, which is way too low for him and like 8,500 on draft games. Anyway. Normally I'd say don't pay attention to what Brinson's saying, but this is the guy who won $80,000 on golf DFS. So write that down. Get all your bets in. Do you think I'll ride that out longer than I wrote out my like 36 on my ACT in, in high school, junior year? Oh, look at that flex, that 30 year ago flex. Where, where did that? I was going to say, Brinson's going to ride this out <laughs> till he spends the last dollar, but I'm thinking he probably already spent all the money. So let me ask you this though, Breach. Are you at all concerned that he is crushing golf and he is terrible at DFS on the NFL? It's <laughs> mm, a good question. Fair question. I mean, I'm slightly. Actually, I'm, actually, I'm actually not that bad on NFL DFS. All right. At any rate. You but, did have a 36 uh, ACT, so. And you have not won 80,000 on football DFS yet. I also once got a five on my AP English exam, which my <laughs> wife will attest that I won't, I didn't stop talking about for the first, like, from like 99 to 2021. Are you saying uh, that if the three of us were on Jeopardy, you would win? No, I didn't say that. Uh, my AK would kill Jeopardy. She's the best Jeopardy player. Breach, I, like, I feel like you would convince yourself you'd be the best Jeopardy player. But then when all the categories weren't like cats and serial killers, you'd do <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Breach might be sneaky. Guys. Potpourri. Potpourri. That's Breach's jam. Potpourri. All right. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into the mailbag. Fortunately, I'm actually excited that um, we're doing, you know, so I'm recording this podcast. I'm like yelling in the guest bedroom here at my in-laws place down in Wilmington. Uh, but I'm glad it's a mailbag because that means we're reading reviews and they're mostly five-star reviews. So we're going to be 
loudly reading these positive reviews of my podcast and they'll think that I'm just in here screaming at myself, pretending like I have a job, which may or may not be true. Um, from Josh Bretzing via Apple Podcast, the Ryan Fitz magic of NFL podcast parentheses, super underrated. Okay. I'm a big fan. The best NFL podcast out there. You guys are super underrated. I agree with that. My question is this. When Mahomes signed his massive contract, everyone was talking about how Mahomes was the highest paid athlete in sports. But after seeing Dak get his contract, I'm starting to wonder whether the Mahomes deal was a more genius move than I initially thought. Mahomes will be making 51 million ish, 51 ish million dollars per year until 2031. But if Dak is making 40 per year in 2021, it's not that big of a stretch to imagine someone of Dak's talent could be making 50 million per year by 2026 or 2027. And although Dak is a great QB, he's no Mahomes. Do you think Mahomes contract will go down as the single best move a GM has made in NFL? history. Uh, that's a that's a big ask. But I think he's right in that this contract is actually really attractive given who Patrick Mahomes is. And I think when you look at the details of the contract, uh let me look at it real quick. Come on, spot track, make that happen. Ten years, so, four hundred and fifty million. But he can get up the uh uh our guy mentioned fifty one million per year because the incentives in the contract can push it to over five hundred million per year. Well, I mean, I think one of the things about Mahomes' deal that's important to note is that when it was signed, it was widely lauded in all, you know, like on CBSSports.com, on HQ, you know, by pretty much every single NFL, you know, I mean, like, you know, on NFL.com, on ESPN, anywhere, you know, pro football talk, wherever you get your news, it's like, this is the biggest contract in professional sports history. But then what you would hear from people who were like big cap guys, like former agents, I mean, Joel Corey wrote about this for us. Um, the guys that over the cap pointed it out. I mean, it, and it was sort of obvious once you really dove into it is that the deal, it, it wasn't that big. Like, I mean, I mean, it's obviously huge, but relative to like the cash flow that Patrick Mahomes got, Deshaun Watson got more money in the first three years of his deal cash wise than Patrick Mahomes did. It was a team friendly deal as much as a deal of that size can be team friendly. It allowed the Chiefs to structure things in a way that they could extend players that they could build out their organization and allow them to, you know, even though they signed that contract, they took their $64 in cap space remaining and flipped it into like 42 extensions. And uh, additionally, you know, they're fine this year having, you know, they had to cut some guys, including Mitchell, uh, Mitchell Schwartz and, and Eric Fisher uh, to, to create room and they had to make some maneuvers, but they're fine this year, even though with the cap dropping down to 182.5 million. So I don't think Mahomes, I, I don't know if it's going to be the greatest, deal ever pulled off by a GM. I would even argue that drafting Patrick Mahomes is a better deal. You know, the trade up to get Patrick Mahomes is, was a better deal than the, the extension they gave him. But yes, I think anytime you can lock an NFL player into a long-term deal, you're doing something smart because the cap is probably going to rise barring another pandemic. Now, having said all that, they restructured Patrick Mahomes' deal this offseason. So, like, how great of a deal could it have been? You know what I mean? Like, they already had well, to – Well, they didn't have any cap space, so you understand that. Sure. I mean, that, that's part of the reason I did that. So, while you were talking, I actually went and looked at spot track, looked at the numbers. So, in 2024, uh, and Patrick will still be 29 years old, and Brinson, you and I talked about this on the NFC uh, South podcast last week in, in terms of Matt, Matt Ryan. His cap hits like 45, something like 40 well, million. And they just redone – Matt Ryan's contract as well. And if it's post June one, like, okay, 20, 25 million, you can save yourself in the next two years if you want to do that. Great. But 2024, Patrick Holmes will be 29 years old. A uh, post, uh, a pre June trade or release, the, the dead cap hit that year is $10 million for Patrick Mahomes, 10 six. 
Mm. In 2024, it, it becomes 33 million. So that's huge. But a post June 1st release, it's 6 million in 2024, 4 million in 2025. So 10 million over two years. If you end up figuring out in, in 2024 that you want to trade or get rid of them and it'll be a cap savings of $38 million. So even three years out when he will only be 29 years old, not even 30 years old, you, there are easy outs to this contract. Uh, if that's what you're eyeballing. So there's yeah. no dead cap space after 20, like 2026 and on, there's no dead cap hit. Like there's, that means they're out of guaranteed money. Like he's already, that's what the restructure did is it pushed everything forward to where he gets most of the guaranteed money over the next three or four years. So at some point it's like, it's almost, it's almost like they gave him this deal in order to say, Hey, this is a long-term thing. No one's going anywhere. We love Mahomes. We're going to make him the highest paid player, but it's almost like it's just kind of for, not like it's just for headlines. It just goes to show you how it's like the Taysom Hill thing where they give him a three year. No, I mean, it's not, it's the not Taysom the Hill thing was a hundred million dollar contract with $99 million voided out. This is not <laughs> the Taysom Hill thing. No, no, I know that, but I'm saying that like this deal is, this deal didn't even. Mahomes never even started the deal before they restructured it. Like they signed the extension. He never even got onto the deal. He's still on his rookie deal. Like in terms of like where he is in the money. Well, I, I would say this because, uh, one thing that Josh asked about is this, you know, is this going to pave the way for Dak Prescott to be making $50 million when he goes in for his next extension? Uh, you know, cause the contract he just signed expires after the 2024 season. And I don't think it does because I think what Mahomes contract does is kind of depressed the market. And we saw Tom Brady do this. Like Tom Brady wasn't necessarily taking less. He just wasn't, uh, he wasn't going to reset the market with any of his contracts when he was going in for negotiation. So it'd be like, yeah, maybe I'll be the highest paid quarterback, but he could have gotten even more than being the highest paid quarterback. He just never wanted that because he wanted pe- people, wanted his team to be able to build around him. And so if you're Mahomes, you're looking at the same thing. All right. The beginning of this deal, I'm going to be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. You know, you're going to average about $45 million per year, but if you're Dak Prescott, you know, so here's the downside of having Dak's contract. Obviously, you're getting four years, 160 million. That is fantastic. It certainly can argue that he's in a better spot than Mahomes, but now you have to survive as long as Mahomes. If you don't play well all four of these years, you know, we still haven't seen Dak Prescott in NFC title game. We've seen him get injured. There's a lot of things that could happen in these next four years where he doesn't get another contract that resets the market. You have to be at the top of your game. There are only three or four quarterbacks in the NFL who are going to be able to approach uh, Mahomes' number in the next year or two. And I think, you know, we'll see Josh Allen sign an extension. He's not going to hit 45 million. He'll, I think he'll pass Dak Prescott because that's what agents are going to use as their bargaining chip. When he to make more than Dak does at 40 million a year. So I think the next one we'll see will be like 40.5 or 41 million. We'll see Lamar Jackson in there around that $41 million range. So I think it's going to be a few years before anyone catches up to Mahomes' 45 million a year. And again, it's going to be hard to say, hey, I should be making more than him when he's got three Super Bowls if that's, you know, by 2025 when this is all happening. So I think my takeaway there is that, you know, the Chiefs got a fantastic deal getting him under contract for that long at this price. Mahomes got a fantastic deal because if he cashes all this out, if he gets that $500 million, we're at a point as of today, no NFL player has ever even made 300 million. So there's no guarantee Dak's even going to get there. And, you know, you guys were mentioning all the outs in the Mahomes contract. I think it's unlikely to get rid of him before the contract's over because he plays at such a high level, you know, unless something's wrong with his foot because he's still in that walking boot from his turf toe injury. Um, 
but he, no, he's, he's been healthy. He plays well. They're not going to get rid of him. And so it, it's, I, I think this was a great deal for both sides. Yeah, that's fine. I, I wasn't saying that it's a Taysom Hill deal. I was more saying that it's like, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors to the Mahomes contract that doesn't get reported. It gets treated as like the Chiefs just gave him everything in the entire world. But in reality, you know, like the final f- six years of the deal, like if they, if, you know, if Mahomes falls off a cliff and isn't very good or like, you know, something bad happens and they can get out of the deal really fast. You know, they'll have paid him a ton of money for four or five years, but it's very clear. And this is the same thing with the Dak Prescott deal. When you look at it, it's very obvious that they're going to renegotiate a new deal before the end. Like, no, no, you're not, nobody, none of these quarterbacks are seeing the end of their contracts if they're still playing well. They're going to renegotiate going into the next deal. It's that getting from the rookie deal to the second deal is where you have to figure it out. And if you start playing poorly in that second deal, they'll just trade you like Jared Goff or, or Carson. Wentz. All right. Moving on to another question from the what breach? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You have one job, Breach. Mailbag. Mailbag question. Listener, this is from JT31, exclamation point via Apple Podcast. Listener for three years, and this is the best podcast out there. The crew does a great job of analysis and are hilarious together. <laughs> I do miss that one guy that he used to dunk on every second. Emergency podcasts are much appreciated. Question for John Breach. Ooh. If the Bengals had the number one pick this season, mm. are you taking Trevor Lawrence? If not, what's the move? <laughs> P.S. Stop talking about Andy Dalton. Oh, oh, baby. That's, I don't have my, I don't have my, my, uh, my drop. I was going to say that's Brenton not having the dunk button. That's, he didn't bring it to the in-laws house. Yeah, I should, I should have like queued up a Dick Vitale thing on my phone to play. I'm surprised you didn't bring it. So anytime you dunked on one of your in-laws, you just press the button like, <laughs> oh, I got you. Dixie-doo, dunk the room. Should have done that. Um, let's see. So, okay. So if the Bengals somehow acquired the number one pick this year, Trevor Lawrence is sitting Right there, you have Joe Burrow on your roster. There is certainly an argument to be made. Say you get Trevor Lawrence and you let him battle Burrow, and then whoever loses, you trade him away. You, you know, you want to lock yourself in having the best quarterback possible. Uh, but because this is the Bengals we're talking about, they have so many holes on the roster. I think the only logical move is to bid off the number one pick to the highest payer. Uh, you know, you, you put it on the auction block. You let every team know. You let out publicly. You say, whatever team makes the best offer, that's where we're going to send the number one pick. And you look at some of the craziest trades in draft history. I think the one that came to my mind, uh, because the Bengals had a chance to do it and pass on it because they're dumb, was Ricky Williams, 1999, New Orleans Saints. Mike Dicko was the Saints coach. He basically said, look, I want to, tr- I'm going to trade my entire draft plus two future he first round picks. Said he called the Bengals and offered his entire draft. Well, this was to everyone. I know this is what he said to every team. That's what I'm saying. This is, he put it out there that the Saints were willing to trade their entire draft to move up and take Ricky Williams plus two future first round picks. So you're a franchise. You can be set for a while if you took this. The Bengals passed on it. Was it Washington that eventually made the deal? It was, uh, um, I don't even know. Was it Washington? That's, that's Brinson's on that's your, vacation. That's, that's your job, Breach. You're the one who brought it up. <laughs> I'm trying it's to answer. Oh. The, it's not even in the discussion on the rundown. At no point <laughs> I did mention until you brought him up. It was, it was Washington. Yeah, it was Washington. So, so 
so Washington gets all of these picks and, and New Orleans only had one pick in the entire draft. It was, uh, Ricky Williams, obviously. And so that's what you do if you're the Bengals. You find a team that says, we're going to give up our whole draft to get Trevor Lawrence. We'll give you two future first round picks plus our entire draft this year. And that's what we'll give you to get Trevor Lawrence. And I think the Bengals would have to do something like that. Well, you know, the, that the story that got told by Mike Holmgren on, uh, with I think Dave Softy Mailer on sports radio KJR in Seattle is that, he was sitting there sipping lemonade uh, by the pool, probably in khakis and loafers and, and like a full button down, um, sitting next to old Ryan Grigson. And he, and he asked Grigson if, if, if he would take his entire draft, including the number three overall pick for the number one overall pick in 2012, because Holmgren wanted to draft Andrew Luck. And Grigson, like, he didn't laugh him out of the building, but he like laughed because he thought it was a joke. And Holmgren's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm being dead serious. He's like, Oh, uh, no, no, no. We're not, we're not, we're not trading the number one overall pick. So in other words, it like, I mean, to move up two spots, he was willing to give up the entire rest of his draft, which maybe included, it included two first round picks because they took Brandon Whedon that year as well. Rich, let me ask you this. So you mentioned that the Bengals aren't one team to trade, trade down typically or move around in the first round. So let's just assume Mike Brown says, I am not moving off that first overall pick. Then who are you taking? If, He's refusing to move off number one. Yeah. So you're going to use the number one overall pick. You're ta- you so have, the, you have no choice but to use the number one overall well, pick. Mike There's Brown no says, other option. That's what you're saying. Mike Brown. I don't tells, think that's even a crazy possibility that Mike Brown would. He, he uh, vetoes. He said, we're not trading it. Yeah. We're using it. I think you have to take Trevor Warrants. You can't let him fall to number two and let the second team get all the value. Like there's so much value with the number one pick this year that it's got to involve Trevor Warrants. You draft him, you figure out how to trade him in three months, you figure out how to trade Joe Burrow in three months. What if but, Joe Burrow is angry that you draft him and Joe Burrow has a no-trade clause and refuses to be traded? <laughs> but then you're stuck with Trevor Warrants <laughs> and Joe Burrow, and you have the best one-two quarterback situation in NFL history. So I think that if you trade – all right, let's say, let's say this, hypothetically that the Bengals um, wanted to trade Joe Burrow right now, right? Like a month before the draft, they didn't want to roll pick. What do they get for Joe Burrow right now? A first, I think the like three first, right? Not three first. No, you get a first at least something. two. You get at least two first for Joe Burrow. He looked Maybe. awesome last year. Yeah, until the Zach Taylor's crap offense and the total lack of an offensive line for the Bengals caused him to shatter his ACL and multiple uh, or Washington's cheating defense. First, they took out Andy Dalton with that concussion, and then they tore Joe Burrow's ACL. They were going after Bengals quarterbacks. We all saw it. That's also Anywho, a weird flex. Like the, I mean, I think if you're the, you know, you can't say you can't say you want to take Panay Sewell over Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, right? no, you can't do then that. Then the Jets are like, then the Jets are just doing cartwheels because they got uh, Trevor Lawrence at number two. I, I mean, I think you have to do it, it. It's sort of like what we talked about with the Watson thing, right? Where you have to make a decision about which direction you want to go. You have to decide: Are we going Burrow or are we going Trevor Lawrence? And then you have to see because once you decide that you're going Trevor Lawrence. Like if you start trying to look for trade possibilities for Joe Burrow, you have to finish it out. You can't be like, oh, well, we can't get what we wanted. We're going to stick with Joe and trade the number one overall pick. I think you have to decide before – because, I mean, then Burrow's just furious. I think you have to decide beforehand what you're going to do if you're the Bengals in this hypothetical. Are we going with Burrow or are we going with the number one and taking Lawrence? And then you just get as most as much value as you possibly can from the team that's trading for Burrow. I mean, if you're the 49ers – I mean, or let's say you're the Panthers and the Bengals are at one and they're taking Trevor Lawrence. 
aren't the Panthers giving up two or three first round picks, including number eight and two future ones for Joe Burrow? I give up two first round picks. I don't know if I give him three. He's coming off an injury. I mean, he looked good, but you don't he know. Looked, he looked really, really good. Dak Prescott's coming off an injury. He just got a four year, $160 million contract. This is Jerry Jones boxed himself in by stupidly using. Yeah. Him. Jerry Jones waited two years and paid him $8 million more a year than he needed to. But yeah, two first round picks seems reasonable. Extremely. I think, well, I think we're talking, I think, we're talking three first round picks for Deshaun Watson. I think two is enough for Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow is cost controlled though. He's not the player Deshaun Watson is as of right now. I mean, if we were doing a draft, I mean, I would say that Joe Burrow's knee injury is slightly less concerning than whatever Deshaun Watson's dealing with. Before Deshaun Watson's outside of football issues came up. No, we're talking was, about right now. I mean, I'm just saying we're talking about right now leading up to the draft. Yeah, I'm not giving up three first-round picks for Joe Burrow because that was the, the asking price for Deshaun Watson a month ago. I would rather have Joe Burrow than Deshaun Watson. Well, that's crazy talk, but <laughs> that you can certainly before, have that opinion. Even before the off-field stuff. Yeah, that's bonkers. <laughs> I think I just think Joe Burrow is that good. I'm not worried that's about straight it. up crazy. I don't think that's because so. Brinson is now a breach bot. He is on the Burrow bandwagon. No, no, that's the thing. Is like if you get Burrow out of Cincinnati, he might flourish and not get hurt and not be cursed by the. the you just people. said he was really good, Brinson. Are the Bengals your dark horse to get to the playoffs out of the AFC? Uh, no. Well, let's see what they do in the draft first. Yeah, that's going to be the difference. Uh, that's a yes. That's a yes. No, I'm not picking the Bengals to go to the playoffs. Look, look, the long way before you make these predictions, and I need to see Joe Burrow looking healthy. I'm, I'm, my whole my whole point is that the Bengals are going to ruin him, whereas if you put him in a good organization, he would flourish and become a superstar franchise facing the NFL type of guy. But instead, he's just going to retire in three years, threaten to sue the Bengals, and eventually they'll trade him to wherever Hugh Jackson's currently working. You know, it's uh, fun. my favorite part of this review is the stop talking about Andy Dalton part. Just because Dalton's a starting quarterback now, I'm, I'm going to try and talk about him as often as possible. You can't talk about any more than you do. I appreciate this person, JT31, <laughs> exclamation point, asking you to move on from from what everyone else has already moved on from years ago. All right, Lil Hoops 2000 – oh, I missed one, sorry. D-Shell 2 says, best NFL podcast. We appreciate it. says, I'm with you on the Mac Jones train, Ryan. He's better than Tua coming out. For my question as a Lions fan, if Stafford plays four to six more years as a Ram and wins a Super Bowl and gets into the Hall of Fame, what team does he go in with? He seems like the type of dude that would wear a Lions hat just because he, he, you know, he didn't make waves. He didn't complain. He just very politely asked to be traded. And, and that's exactly what happened. Um, finally, after a decade of, of taking hit after hit, abuse after abuse, playing through the, the type of injuries that most players wouldn't even be able to, to walk with. So I, I feel like he, he has some loyalty to the Lions in that regard. He didn't leave on bad terms. And, and maybe he starts the, his speech out with the Lions hat on and he, he, he turns it around backwards mm. to get some people fired up and there's a Rams logo on, on the, uh, on the backside of it. But that would see. actually be kind of Matthew Staffordish to have like a, a Lions hat here and then like you flip it around and go yeah. backwards and it's a Rams hat right there. And then. It at least gives like Colin Coward ammunition for the next six months to talk about. <laughs> That's funny. We're having this conversation about the Andy Dalton of the NFC. Stafford's never won a playoff game. He's not getting to the Hall of Fame. Uh, but I will say, Andy, real quick, by the way, if Andy Dalton played for the Lions for 10 years, he would have been dead four years ago. <laughs> the one thing I will say about Stafford is that I think there's a little misconception with the Hall of Fame because of the the baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Obviously those guys, you put a hat on them on their bus that say, their team, and that's why people are asking what team when they go in with. But there's nothing like that on an NFL bus. You know, there's not a helmet. There's not a jersey. 
so you're not really like quote unquote going in with a team. Um, and you know, I, I agree with you guys on one hand where Stafford seems like the kind of guy that would remember his roots and be like, yeah, you know, my career started in Detroit, but I feel like if you won a few Super Bowls in Los Angeles or just the playoff game, is that what are you talking about? If he wins a Super Bowl in, in Los Angeles with the Rams, he is going to be Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying he won't even bring up Detroit. <laughs> He'll be like, I don't remember those years. What are you no, talking I, about? I was I never think, in Detroit. I, think I do will. think Stafford is like a good enough guy where he will he will so just do it. Yeah, I agree with Ryan in the sense that he'll he will emphasize how much Detroit taking a chance on him at one or first overall and and being there for so long means to him. And I, I mean, I think like he wanted to win in Detroit. He didn't want to go to Detroit and like eventually get wa- you know wash out. But if he goes and you know if he goes and dominates for three or four years in in Los Angeles, we're not going to think about Matthew Stafford in a Lions jersey. We're going to think about like like seriously, if he goes and wins a Super Bowl and makes another like two or three deep playoff runs with Sean McVay and the Rams, which I don't think is out of control given his age and his skill set and, and McVay as a play caller. I mean, we're going to start talking about like, man, what could this guy have been if he'd been, if he'd been drafted by any other organization other than the Lions or even the Bengals, I guess you could include. Oh, we got to take away the dunk on button <laughs> or we got to bring it back. So Brinson doesn't have to do it on his own. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, mailbag question. This is from. JJ and NC. Five stars. Love the podcast. Brinson is much funnier than Wilson. Sounds like Hubert Davis is a lock to be Carolina's next head coach. Wilson, your thoughts? I mean, you're talking about Jonathan Jones, and Jonathan Jones under no circumstances would think that you're funnier than I am. (laughs) Uh, I love Hubert Davis. When I was at Campbell University basketball camp working as a a counselor, Mm. um, Oh, I must have been, I must have been in college because Hubert is a little older than me. So he was already out maybe playing with the Knicks. I don't know if that was his first stop or not, but he was playing in the NBA and he came back to talk about, cause when he joined UNC, he, I don't know if he's a walk on, but he was, um, his uncle had played at UNC, Walter Davis. It was a, a great player at UNC. So Hubert just sort of was, uh, riding those coattails, so to speak, worked really hard, incredibly hard, became one of, one of the best players of that era as a, as a shooter. And uh, he's been on the bench forever now. I love Hubert Davis. I'm fine with this. It's certainly better than the Matt Doherty hire, which has been 20 years ago now almost. Matt Doherty came in, fired everybody, and and was took that plane and pointed it straight into the ground. And you know, three years later, he was out of out of work at UNC. He he could have gone about that better. I'm certainly, I'm sure, I'm sure Hubert will have, will do a much better job in terms of that transition. He's more of a Dean Smith, Coach Gut, Roy Williams guy. It feels like. And um, yeah, I'm all, I'm all in on that. So. Um, we're, this podcast came out, it was, comes out on Tuesday. Um, the announcement was expected to happen, like basically as we finished recording, or the board of trustees was calling an emergency meeting to confirm Hubert Davis is the buzz as we're recording this. I think it's really, I mean, the, the Doherty thing is crazy because people sort of forget this, but when Doherty got hired, you know, Carolina likes to keep it all in the family. When, when Doherty got hired, they had been turned down by Roy Williams. And George Carl and Larry Brown, who were coaching the Bucks and the 76ers at the time, respectively, pulled their names out of the search. And this time around, Carolina was like, oh, we're going to hire Mark Few, or maybe we have to settle for Brad Stevens. Or it's like, what? Like, what do you, what? no, that's, Mark Few is coaching it was like the night that they, you know, Monday night, like the day we recorded this, when they're thinking about it, they're going to hire Mark Few. He's coaching in the national championship against Baylor. Uh, you know, we'll see, make sure you watch on CBS, of course, but we'll find out who won later. I mean, 
you know, I guess you'll know by now you know, who, who won. My point being is that it was like Carolina, this was almost seemed like sort of a fait accompli the way that Roy, Roy Williams retired, kind of catching people out of nowhere. You know, you're in the middle of the NBA season, so Brad Stevens didn't come along. Few's a tough pull. Jay Wright said he wasn't interested. And so this isn't like 1985 where you can just go and snipe the best guy at the highest profile school to come to Carolina. Like this was a, you know, Hubert Davis has been there since 2012, I think, working for Roy Williams. He knows the organization, you know, he knows the, 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 everything about Carolina very well. And, and he's just the guy. Oh, the most important thing is recruiting. I mean, that's all that, that's all that matters. So if he gets that, it's fine. It doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, if you're a good recruiter coaching, in college, if you're a good college recruiter, You'll be great. Because the longest time people were whinging about Roy Williams not being a great coach, that he could recruit. He's both, but obviously he's a great recruiter. So that's at the end of the day. You can be John Wooden as a coach, and if everyone hates you, and you're playing with, you know, a bunch of guys who, who run the 1950s offense, you're going to lose every game. Doesn't matter. I mean, was John Wooden even a great coach, or is he just like a better coach than his peers? I think he's probably a pretty good coach. <laughs> no, 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 but I mean, like, John Wooden's whole thing is leadership, you know, like, like, in like motivational. Let me ask like, you this. Do you think the Bengals will like some leadership at the top of their organization? Yeah. I mean, they don't okay. have anything. They don't have X's and O's. They don't have Jimmy's and Joe's. They don't have leadership. So they, they don't have talent. They don't have anything. They, they got take- Joe Burrow on crutches. All right. Next question. Didn't mean to derail it. Just wanted to get Wilson's thoughts. Breeze, do you have any thoughts on the Carolina basketball hire? Uh, here's what I have to say about that, Brinson. This is the only if basketball hire. Andy Dalton, if you mentioned Andy Dalton, in the words of Vince Carter, it's over. The podcast. The only is- basketball hires I care about are the Mid American Conference. All right. Fair mean? enough. Right. Mailbag. Nick from Michigan here. Huge fan. I say get dunked on to my kids, wife, and friends daily when I make a valid point. Love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> on NBA trade deadline day, and an interesting thought on NFL draft picks. Draft pick trades, excuse me. If the NFL adopted this, uh, the stipulated rule, you can't trade your first-round pick in consecutive mm-hmm. years. How would that impact QB trade-ups? Would pick swaps be a thing? I didn't know that was a rule. That's how out of the NBA loop I am. So you can't trade your first round pick in consecutive years. Yeah, basically they don't want you to be able to dump all your first round picks. But in the NFL, you can only trade up to, as we mentioned several times on the show, you can only trade until you're on the clock in, until their draft starts. You can only trade two future first. Right. So I think that's sort that rule is sort of in place in the NFL. How often um, have, has an NFL team traded their first round pick in back to back years? Does it happen a lot? I don't feel like it has. And if it has happened, I feel like it would be a team like the Patriots, who the Rams. Yeah, but again, they're a good football team. So it was Jalen and Matthew they Stafford. Two, they traded two back-to-back ones for Jalen. Oh, okay. And then they traded another one for Matthew Stafford. So they, they went they went three across. They've literally not had first-round first round pick was, since they took Jared Goff. Their last first-round pick was Jared Goff, right. Yeah. right Sean McVay tra- has never had a first-round pick. Right, so they traded up for Jared. No, Jared Goff came before Sean McVay. They traded up for Jared Goff. Yeah, they traded up for Jared Goff and used their future first-round picks for Jared Goff. Yeah, so when gotcha. McVay got there, they didn't have one of those. So Jeff Fisher they, did that. Then uh, McVay arrived, and they haven't had one since 2017. Yep, okay, got it. So that's four in a row or whatever. And, but that, the thing is, that's not a team tanking or just mis- being mismanaged. That's a team that's winning football games. So yeah. I don't know if it has quite the effect. And like I said, I feel like the Patriots have probably done that at some point during their 20-year run. Uh, but if the Browns done it, like have the Browns traded first-round picks back-to-back years? I don't think so. Like Teams that suck don't trade out of the first round. Typically, right? I mean, they're always – because they have a high-round pick, number one. Well, I don't think this counts necessarily as – like – because you're talking about the trade deadline, right? So you're not really talking about – um 
Like teams oh, tra- right. not drafting, they're not trading out of the first round. It's more like acquiring players and giving up picks. So, I mean, yes, to answer the question, if you limited the, the number, the ability to move picks for players, you would probably see more pick swaps than you already do in the sense that teams would be, you, you, you know, you'd have to over, you'd have to overcompensate. So if you did a pick swap of a first to get a, like, to get a Carson or like a whatever, Will Fuller, let's say the Packers, the Texans wanted a first for Will Fuller, but the Packers had already traded the first and they couldn't. So they swap first. See, that's why, that's why I don't think you do it as much because the volatility feels bigger in the NFL for those first round picks. So like if you do a pick swap in the NBA, you're feeling pretty confident this organization is not going to magically become one of the 10 best in, in basketball and, and you get a crappy pick and like you're, you know, and like you fall behind them. You know what I mean? Like, so the, the Lakers give up a first round pick. They feel confident that first round pick is going to be late in the first round. And in the NBA, those first, late first round picks just aren't worth nearly as much as they are in the NFL. Right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. So to answer the question, I think there's something built in. I like, I like the concept, but I think there's something built in by virtue of not being able to trade future first. And we, and we mentioned, uh, obviously the Rams and another team that traded away two first round picks for a player was the Raiders. They got two first round picks for Cleo Mack. And so that trade would not have been allowed if this rule had been in place, if this NBA rule. And I mean, the question here is kind of what impact would that have on trade-ups? Not whether we should, you know, implement the rule or not. And I think the impact is that you would see more players involved in trades. Cause if you're the Bears and you're trying to acquire a Cleo Mack, but you can't give up two first round picks, you're going to say, all right, we'll give you this first round pick and uh, this extra player that you want. So I just think we would see more players involved in trades if that role was in NFL. Yeah, that's a good point. You wouldn't be able to trade. So, like, the the Rams would not have been able to get Jalen Ramsey the way that they did from the Jaguars. Right. They would have to come up with something that's one first-round pick and then something else, maybe two second-round picks, you know. It would also, I think, suppress the value of a lot of these guys, too. Like, you know, Jaguars like we want two first for Jalen Ramsey. But like, I don't even get that, and then they got it. Whereas if you know if this rule's in place, it's like we want. You know, it's like you can't get that. You know, and you and if you weren't allowed to trade, yeah, it'd be it'd be funky. All right, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, more mailbag. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. The best NFL podcast, writes Grace Norman. Definitely the best NFL podcast out there. The hosts do a great job of covering whatever is going on in the football world and explaining it well. This podcast has been a perfect resource for me to stay on the in on the know on what's going on with all the other teams beside my own. 
Do you guys have any positive outlooks for the for Steelers fans this year, or even next year if we have a bad season, we get a good draft spot and more cap space, Ryan Wilson? You know, I'm going to let Brees go first because he has been an admirer of the Steelers from afar. Jealousy has sometimes seeped into his evaluation, and that led to passive aggressiveness that he loves seeing happen to the Steelers at times. It blew up in his face that one time when Vontez Burford ran out of the back of the end zone and lost them the game, but we won't talk about that. Breach, how do you feel about the Steelers? Ben Roethlisberger coming back <laughs> with uh, now over a year removed from the from the elbow surgery, issues on defense, issues on offense. How do they feel to you in the AFC North and overall? Steelers are the new Bengals, Ryan. <laughs> That's all there is to it. The Bengals were the laughing stocks of the AFC North for so long. Now it's going to be the Steelers. Brinson's prediction was a year early. The man had last place for the Steelers. I, I do think if I had to make a pick today on this division, uh, I, I might have the Steelers in last place. And so obviously this is asking about going forward. Wilson, you can, you know, cover the ground looking out into two, three, four, five seasons in the future. Uh, but as far as this season, even if they draft well, I, I think this, that, that, uh, 2021 is going to be a struggle. Well, what's the, what's the ceiling on wins? I mean, they went 12 and four last year. So I don't They're think the they're going to undefeated team in football last year. I don't think they're going to crater and go three and 13. I would say somewhere between six and 10 and 10 and six. Wrong on both counts because there's 17 games next year. Breach. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that's what oh, we need the dog button. Me. Well, that's oh, because they're going to forfeit the last game. <laughs> they're so bad. We give up. Uh, so I think you said previously they, they could win 10 games. That feels like the high end for me, 10 games. Like a lot has to go right. I, I always come back to, um, Tomlin won with Doug Hodges and Mason Rudolph went eight and eight in 2019. So that's the type of coaching performance he's going to have to have, which means you can't make the mistakes at the end of games, end of halves we've seen him make and frankly, every other coach make, uh, by and large, but Roethlisberger has to be better. The offensive line has to be better. They have to find a running game. They have to replace the five or six defensive guys they lost. Um, good news. Tyson Alu Alley went to Jacksonville and came back. So maybe they can get Mike Hilton to do that from Cincinnati and Bud Dupree do that from Tennessee. Otherwise they have to figure out how to, how to replace those, those players. So I, I think nine wins, nine and eight, I guess is what it would be. Nine or 10 wins feels about right. I don't know if this is the year they're going to be in last place only because the Bengals are so inept, but if the Bengals get their act together, that could be a problem. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he breach. What are the, what are the probabilities of four teams going at least nine and eight in that division? I mean, the, it's not crazy. I, I mean, it's, the Bengals, like you said, would have to get their act together. It's, I would say of any division. I know. It's crazy. I, I, I was going to say the AFC North, I would probably put at number two. If I had to pick any division in the NFL that could produce four teams that finish above 500, the AFC North would be my second pick. I will say this. Behind the NFC West? Yeah. Yeah. I'll say this and then Brinson, you can go. Uh, I think the Steelers have to think very seriously about a quarterback. They're probably, I mean, there won't be one there at 24. I don't know if you want to trade up for one. It's something to think about though. I mean, two years ago, they traded up to 10 to get a, a linebacker, Devin Bush, who's very good. So that's a possibility. But even in round two, think about a quarterback and a guy like a lot, Kellen Mond. I think I had him going. Yeah. In fact, I did have him going, uh, in the second round to the Steelers in my two round mock draft that came out, uh, on month that will come out on, or they came out Monday. Sorry. So I think that's something you have to think long and hard about because this is one and done for Roethlisberger. I don't know what plan B is after next year because Mason Rudolph's contract will be up anyway, and Dwayne Haskins is on a one-year deal. Both those options don't seem particularly in- encouraging if you're a Steelers fan looking forward. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the it's weird. Look, I, obviously, I didn't like it when the Chargers just unceremoniously, you know, cut ties and moved on from Philip Rivers. But it was such a it was a clean break, and they got Justin Herbert with a high pick in the draft. And I think that was a uh, obviously in hindsight a very smart move. I didn't, you know, I didn't love the pick at the time, but I think that's really the problem with the Steelers is it feels like they don't know whether to be all in or all out on Ben Roethlisberger, and it, it's tough to be in their position. You know, like do they? I mean, do they? Do they have a good enough, you know, can they really get somebody in the draft? Do they want to take a flyer on a Kellen Mond type? Are they going to wait and reevaluate next offseason? Are they going to find him in sort of no man's land where they're trying to Tommy Maddox it up until they can find their next Ben Roethlisberger? I mean, they've, they've had such a long run. I mean, when you've had Big Ben since 04, and you're talking about, you know, I mean, 16, 17 years, right, where you've got a franchise quarterback who's playing at a high level and taking you to deep in the playoffs virtually every year, every other season. Um, and not only that, he started his career as Josh Allen, and now he is slower than Philip Rivers. So he's, we've seen the evolution of, right. you know, athletic quarterback to pocket passer, and it's just not been pretty. Right. And I, oh, I just, I just wonder, and then, you know, they gave, they gave Kevin Colbert a one year extension, right? So he's only under contract through. I think he's been doing one year extensions for a few years now. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the case. I mean, either way, it just feels like, it feels like something's brewing in Pittsburgh where they are sort of holding on to the past and, don't really know how to completely reevaluate. Like, re- I think they're holding. I think you're right. I think they're saying, okay, this is the last hurrah this year. Whatever happens, happens. I mean, they're. I don't know what the Super Bowl odds, but they they have to be insanely high, even with the with the crew coming back. This team is worse than last year's team. Thirty five to one. Last year's team was much better. We just didn't know about Roethlisberger's arm, and I mean, we still don't know about his arm. And even yeah. if he can he can move uh, throw, he can't move. So you know, there's. I, I think there's a decent chance that Big Ben has a Peyton Manning fall off the cliff. Season the, the Steelers Super Bowl odds are thirty to one. Those yeah. are better than the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean the Cardinals play. Cardinals play an incredibly tough division. And the, Cardinals, almost, the Steelers have good coaching. You know, I mean, they have they have talent on the offensive line. They've lost some pieces, of course. They have you know plenty of talent on on defense at, at, at multiple levels. I mean, with Devin Bush and T.J. Watt and and Fitzpatrick, I mean, they can like that's not this is not a bad football team. I think right, let's let's set odds on Steelers what, what, the, the, real quick. The Super Bowl odds are even with the Patriots, Titans, and Chargers. Sure, I think that's about right. They're you know they're not a team you would expect to get through the Chiefs if they had to play them in the playoffs, but it's certainly possible. Here would be my question: If we we're setting odds, so it's like a head-to-head odds situation, right? Like like me minus one fifty versus Breach and tennis. Steelers versus Bengals. Who has the better record? And of course, there's a tie is a push, right? So it's a head-to-head matchup for the 2020 season. I think the Steelers to have a better record would be like minus 300. Yeah, it w- I don't think it'd be close. Yeah, the Bengals, like the Bengals, to have a better record than the Steelers in 2021 would be like five to one. Minus 300 plus 500, or maybe like. What plus- are you taking, Breach? I mean, I don't disagree. If you're, you know, part of people betting on things is like the allure of the team and like the Bengals, people are not going to pick the Bengals have a better record over the Steelers without knowing anything about either team. They're just going to say the Steelers are a better run organization. I expect them to perform better. Uh, they have better coaching, better everything. So I'm going to go with the Steelers. And especially if all things are even, like if you think genuinely that the Steelers and Bengals have about the same amount of talent on their roster going in this year, you're going to go with the Steelers in that situation because it's the Steelers. So I don't disagree with that at all. I do think the Bengals would probably be like plus 200, plus 250, and the Steelers would probably be about negative 300, which is what Prince said. There you go. 
Yeah, I mean, I I, th- I think in that situation, I would probably bet on the Bengals just because, <laughs> like, if you you know if you lose if you lose the you, you're expecting to lose the Bengals, but you're losing one unit on the Bengals. If the if the Bengals beat the Steelers, you lose three units on the Steelers. In other words, I think it's a little bit better value because if you think there's a chance the Steelers come crashing back to earth and the Bengals can take a small step forward, then you can flip it. But even like a bad season from the Steelers might be a good season from the Bengals. That's the problem. Uh, yes, they went eight and eight. That's the worst record they ever had under Mike Tomlin. Let me ask you this, and we can move on. Let's say Roethlisberger retires tomorrow or whatever, and they don't draft a quarterback. Who win? Who how, who do they win more games with? Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins? No, <laughs> the single t single single wing. Can they run single uh, wing? Who else is out there? Um, no, yeah. those are your two choices. That's probably, you have to- probably Mason Rudolph because he knows the system and he's played. He looked okay against that against the Browns in that week sixteen, week seventeen game. He didn't look terrible. Yeah, I think so. I think that's the right answer, which just shows you how quickly and how far you can fall as a quote unquote franchise quarterback if you are not studying and you're in the wrong system and everything goes sideways in a hurry. Exactly. Uh, all right. Sun Devil David says, five-star mailbag question. Love the pod. Everything from the detailed breakdowns to the random banter is awesome. Question. Which of the following three quarterbacks do you think would make the best head coach? Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, or Aaron Rodgers? Also, what do you think their coaching styles would look like? Keep up the great work. That's a fun question. So I think Tom Brady would be, would be like Cliff Kingsbury in terms of being incredibly handsome and stylish on the sidelines. I, this is a tough question. I think Aaron Rodgers would be like have very little patience. He reminds me a little bit of probably Larry Bird when he coached. He just got frustrated that everyone wasn't as good as he was. <laughs> he said, I'm out. Uh, I think Peyton Manning probably is the best coach of the three. I mean, they all are incredibly smart and it, you know, it doesn't matter how quickly you're deciphering a, a defense as a coach because you need the, the quarterback to do that. But maybe Peyton, Peyton has a longer lineage. His dad played and his brothers and, and all that and his, his nephews and, and whatever. But I, this is tough. Like, I, I think it's Peyton, but they all three could suffer from the same, the Larry Bird syndrome in that they just can't understand why everyone is not as good as, at them at doing what the things they're really good at. I agree with Wilson there. I would say Peyton Manning would totally be a Sean McVay type. And this, because Peyton Manning knows everything about every defense. He's watched so much film. He would be in his quarterback's headset until it got shut off. Like, it's going there. It's going there. Call Omaha three times. We're going with this play. We're going with that play. <laughs> And so, boom, Peyton Manning's your best coach because he's not going to get frustrated with this quarterback. He's going to work with him. I think that Tom Brady, you know, if he's a head coach, he's going to try and have a close relationship with the quarterback. But I think Brady's issue was that if the quarterback didn't have the competitive drive and, like, want to love a football that Brady has, that would frustrate Brady. Not necessarily not being able to teach the person, but if you realize this guy just doesn't care about it like I care about it. I can't do this. I, so I think Brady would be okay, and I think Rodgers would be the one. I don't know if you say this about Wilson or – Wilson, I don't know if you said about Rodgers or Brady, but I think Rodgers would be the one uh who would just, just – it would all be too frustrating because, right. you know, he can put the ball anywhere he wants. He's going to be working with someone who can't. Uh, I, I just think Roger, Rogers would say, yeah, I'm not doing this. I'm not being a coach. So I go like, Manny, imagine, Brady Rogers. Imagine Andy Rogers trying to, uh, Andy Rogers. Imagine Aaron <laughs> Rogers trying to coach Andy Dalton. He was like, <laughs> he'd be out after two weeks. So I think Bay Manning is the easy answer for me. He's like John Fox, but if he was competent. John and, Fox, so, how dare you? No, no, no. Like, just like 
like very chill and like sort of you know John Fox. No, I mean like like I think Fox and Payton also Fox and Payton are like really good buddies. Oh, uh, the social that, team's got to clip this. That, no, 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 Manning I, is like John Fox. You didn't let me finish. He'd be like John Fox, but competent and and like and if he'd ever seen a quarterback play before, he just he'd be very his demeanor as a coach would be a positive influence on the team. Uh, Tom Brady would be like Todd Haley. Tom Brady cusses out everybody. He's constantly screaming and losing his mind. You think he's going to take it well when that team isn't doing good? He's going to blast dudes in the post-game press conferences if they play well. The only thing we've ever heard from Peyton Manning where he's mad at somebody was he's like, God damn it, Donald! That one time that Donald Brown didn't block for him in in Indianapolis. By and large, Peyton Manning knows how to play the game, and Rodgers would be so passive-aggressive. I'm trying to think of who's, who's the coach who, like, Gets out there in those interviews and just Bruce no, no, no. That's, that's Todd Haley. Like Todd Haley was the one we heard that story where he refused to put in who's telling that story? Matt Castle was telling the story where he refused to to put in a player that needed to be put in just solely to spite Matt Castle. So I, I think that's that's you gotta find another comp for Tom Brady. I don't think Tom Brady's that passive aggressive, but I do understand what you're saying in terms of him having very I think Tom Brady would just be Tom Brady be cussing everybody out and screaming. Maybe Bill O'Brien. What's that? Bill O'Brien. Or or Bruce Arians, and uh, ironically, Bill O'Brien he had a, a cursing match once on the sidelines when he was with the Patriots. I mean, think about all the Aaron Rodgers press conferences we've seen over our, our lifetimes covering him uh, for the Packers, and like how many times he said something that was a passive aggressive dig at a teammate, a coach, or whatever it was, or he said you know like something profound, like he says what he thinks. His press conferences as a head coach would be incredible. Um, I think all three would be pretty successful at doing what they're doing, but I don't. Like, coaching's hard. Much harder than sure. playing quarterback. I mean, I just think I don't think I don't think these three guys are going to lose a whole. I like I think they can adapt to doing what it would do, but I think Peyton would adapt a lot faster. And I think like I think they would all the other two guys would definitely need some more like training as OCs and whatnot. Just to reiterate, you could have gone with Sean McVay, Andy Reid, Sean Payton, Kyle Shanahan. You went with John Fox. For well, chill. Why would, why would he be like? I mean, they're all chill. They're all chill. Have great communicators. You went with John Fox. <laughs> I think Breach is right. This has to be clipped and put on the internet. Okay. But only um, not, not Brenton saying a more competent John Fox. It just ends with Peyton Manning is John Fox. This is like right. saying Trevor Lawrence is just like Andy Dalton, but better. <laughs> All right. Montreal. What Eric. does the Fox say? Hey, gang. Eric from Montreal. Eric here from Montreal. Love your podcast. I listen daily. You guys are a riot. You're helping me unwind during these strange days. My question is, do you envision a future where teams carry two starting quarterbacks? As a hockey guy first and football second, more and more teams in the NHL are starting to give two goalies Mm. more like 60-40 season splits compared to the old days of 80-20. It's far less devastating to your season if the starter goes down with injury, and you can just plug in your your 1B and carry on. The 1B QB would actually start like every three, four games, start every three or four games per season. It's always felt weird to me when a good team loses their QB and everyone just throws in the towel. Thanks, boys. That's a great question. And soccer does something similar. They, they have their sort of 1B goalkeeper who plays like the midweek games and sometimes occasionally he'll, he'll give the starter some a respite during the, the weekend games. My own, I don't know the, the roster constraints for NHL that might make that easier or harder. I mean, every and, team has multiple quarterbacks. That's the thing. I think the the I mean, harder issue is finding a good quarterback that you are willing to pay. Number one, there are very few good quarterbacks, and number two, they cost a lot of money. Like Chase Daniels made a ton of money just being a 
a second string quarterback who rarely has to play. Chad Henney hasn't played in a while, but he came in and, and actually flourished in the handful of snaps against the Browns in that playoff game. But again, it's, it's hard that we talk about Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. That wasn't the plan for the Steelers. Uh, Ryan Finley wasn't the plan last year for the, for the, for the Bengals, obviously. So I think that the hard thing is finding a backup who's willing to be a backup and play for start and have starter money when they could go somewhere else and, and make so, that money. Yeah. And like, Oh, sorry, Breach. I would just say that, you know, like we did kind of see this last year with the Dolphins and Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I, I think the reason besides this wouldn't work the NFL because one, there's not enough good starting quarterbacks. You would have to have 64 starting level quarterbacks if you're going to play two guys on each team. Two, they'd have to do something about the salary cap because if you're all of a sudden you're a backup quarterback who's starting, you're going to want a lot more money. And maybe the starting quarterback has to take less money. You know, if Dak Prescott's only playing eight to 10 games per year instead of 17, uh, you know, it's hard to justify and not just him, but any quarterback paying them $40 million if they're not paying, playing all 17 games. And then I would say the other part of that, the third part of this, and this is what happens to Brian Flores is if you're playing two starting quarterbacks, if one gets the hot hand and all of a sudden you're like, eh, we got to get the other guy in there. Uh, you know, people are start questioning what you're doing and your decision making if they don't think you have the best quarterback in there. So I think it's kind of interesting. The, the Dolphins are a great call too. The other one is let's not forget about the Saints. Like Sean Payton's kind of been doing this right by working in Taysom Hill. And I would anticipate that in 2021, assuming the Saints don't make some crazy move for a quarterback in the offseason as part of a trade or a draft pick, that we see sort of something like this with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. I think, you know, if he's willing to put pull Drew Brees off the field 10 to 15% of the plays, he's going to be definitely be willing to pull Jameis Winston off the field for 30% of the plays. So I think we could see something like this from the Saints in 2021. But to that point, and the same with the Dolphins, is usually if you're if you have a guy at quarterback, a Brady, a Rodgers, a Manning, you know, um, Mahomes, you know, Josh Allen, et cetera, et cetera, down the line in terms of elite quarterbacks, you're not going to want to do that because the drop-off is so significant, one. And then, two, you can see in the the case of a guy like Carson Wentz or even Jared Goff, the psychological damage that comes from somebody sort of preferring a backup or giving a backup tons of time. And it just takes away from the, the net, like the prestige and the setup of the backup. Now think about like to an old school option where you could have done this, but they didn't. The Falcons had Matt Shaw behind Michael Vick. I know people, you know, like to laugh about Matt Shaw, but he was kind of a heralded guy coming out of Virginia and he led the league in passing one year. So yeah, and also he appeared on me and Wilson's family. In 2009. And you know who his offense coordinator was that year? Yeah, Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that, that, that was for Ryan that Mac Jones could work. Right. Um, I, I just think that it, it's more of a credible idea if you don't have a true number one quarterback. And so I think if you, if you're, if let's say, but then all right now here's the other, you know, point of reference, the Bears. Andy Dalton slash Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky slash Nick Foles, you know, I guess they sort of rode their way. Like they kind of did it with Foles and Trubisky, but the problem is it doesn't come out as a goalie thing where you're like, Oh, we're just playing the guy who's playing really well. It's like, Oh, who's the number one? Who's the number one? And it, it just never works out because fan bases are rabid to have that franchise quarterback in there. And as Ryan points out, if you do, eventually find one or two that are good, you're going to have to pay them at some point. So I think 
it probably does come down to asset allocation to a degree and the fact that when you have that franchise quarterback, you're expecting to have him for 10 years plus, and, and so you don't end up trying to find the 1B. But, yeah, I think there's something to the idea that teams have been a little more aggressive in pursuing backup quarterbacks lately. Yep, word. Next. Right. Pick six pod. Evan from Grafton writes, five stars 99% of the time. Okay. Love the show. Very disappointed. That's fair. The, the, yeah, that's fair. I would have said 95. The latest Dubin <laughs> episode. How can JJ3 not be a bargain for the Browns? I think that's John Johnson Jr. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. Or the John Johnson the third. John Johnson the third. Yeah. I was like, JJ. I was like, why is he ripping JJ? <laughs> I, under, I, I understand the Browns were a dumpster fire forever. We need to start respecting this new front office. Do you guys think they will win the AFC North this year? If anyone comes to Cleveland for the draft, Go to Loggerhead Smokehouse, a small drive to get out of downtown, but some of the best barbecue you will ever mm. have as a delicious microbrewery. I bet you leave with a growler or a barn burner. Beer for Brinson, Bud Light. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Try Rheingeist Hustle IPA made in Cincinnati, but it's good. Don't let that bother you. Oh, a Cincinnati dunk. dunk. You love it. Um, I will say this guy think- taking shots at Cincinnati. He gets the show. He's taking shots at Cincinnati <laughs> in the mail. I think that we would all the dog music. I think we've been pretty good about respecting the new front office and coaching staff because I was all over the Kevin Stefanski coach of the year conversation going back to late last season. We all like Andrew Barry and you know, again, you can't say it enough. It's an upgrade over Freddie Kitchen. So that, that's where we're at. They beat the Steelers in back to back weeks, including the playoff game should have beaten the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, and Chad Henney happened. So there's a lot of reasons to like the Browns. Uh, are they going to win the division? I think, I, I think so. I would say. The Ravens are the favorites, and I think the Browns are plus one ten. That's too low. Maybe like one seventy five. I'll okay. look it up. Our, our, I got them right here. Ravens are plus one ten. Browns Ooh. are plus one eighty. Okay. Steelers Thanks. are plus three forty, and the Bengals are plus two thousand. <laughs> That's some value. That's where the value's at. The Bengals are 20 to 1 to win the division. To win the division. The Bengals' odds to win the division are worse than the Browns' odds to win the Super Bowl. And this Goober was talking about the Bengals Bengals beating the Steelers uh, for third place. Get out of here. Uh, That's value right there. You put $10 down, you win 200 That's smart people are betting the Bengals. How do you guys feel about the Browns winning the division? I don't feel terrible about it. I think there's a good chance. You know, I mean, one of the, the only reason I wasn't higher on the Browns last year is that Cle- that Cleveland, you know, I had the whole philosophy that I thought we would see teams with a lot of consistency at these various positions, offensive line, you know, quarterback, quarterbacks coach, head coach would be in a much better spot because of the shortened off season of the pandemic. Well, the Browns didn't have that and it still worked out fine for them. You know, they had a bunch of, you know, two new guys, you know, like Jack Conklin, they drafted a tackle, a whole new coaching staff. That was a huge concern. And Kevin Stefanski's that good. Like he, he managed to overcome that. And Andrew Barry has been awesome. I mean, this Browns, this is not your, your older brother's Browns, even much less your uncle's Browns. And I think the important thing for Cleveland is that because Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are having success and because and Paul DePodesta won all these power struggles, they brought in the full analytics approach with Stefanski and Andrew Barry, and it's working. That's the key, is you get something that works, and you get Jimmy Haslam to leave it alone. So you finally have his ear if you're DePodesta, and you can convince him to just stay, stop meddling, to stay out of the stuff. You don't have Hugh Jackson there creating chaos with power struggles and John Dorsey doing the same thing. Everybody, for the first time, really since the – 
Belichick coached the Browns is aligned in Cleveland. And I think that's hugely important. So yeah, I mean, to me, the Browns look like a team that could absolutely win the division. I, I would, I mean, I don't want to fade the Ravens because Baltimore can be that good, but if Lamar Jackson doesn't play better than he did last year, then why can't Cleveland go win? I think Baker Mayfield could take a huge leap forward. Pop quiz. Do you guys know when the last time was that the Cleveland Browns won the division? Pop quiz, hot shot. Yeah. Uh, I did they? the other day. It holds up kind of well. Yeah, it is good. It does hold up well. Um, uh, my wife fast forwarded through the, the, the steamy scenes when we were watching them with our 13-year-old. Oh, that's too bad. They're pretty steamy. Of sea? Of speed? Or steam? Like at the end when oh, they're making speed. out? No, no, that's Top Gun. Oh. Pop quiz hot shot. What are you? No, pop quiz hot shot is speed. Oh, it is? Yeah, yeah Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper's like oh. the hopster. That's Hopper right. is Easter. No, no, the whole point is like Dennis Hopper is listening to um, uh, uh, Keanu Reeves and uh, what's his name? Sandra Bullock? Jeff Daniels? No, Jeff Daniels, thank you. Oh. He's listening to them. He's hearing them, and they're, they pop quiz each other. And so oh, okay. He's like, I haven't seen it in a while. Shot. Gotcha. Yeah. For some reason, I thought that was... um. So, to answer shot. the trivia question, did that give you guys time to Google it? Top shot, top shot is... The last time the Browns won the division was... 1995? Well, what's your guess, Wilson? They didn't They didn't win it with Brian Hoyer, right? That didn't happen. What's either. your guess, Wilson? They did not. 93. Both of you are incorrect. 1989. My dad was, was still playing football. My, he was in the division that the Browns won. That is how long ago this was. So that, that is Bernie, amazing. Bernie Kozar probably. And you know what though? You feel like there's a lot of pressure because this team hadn't been to the playoffs since 2002. They hadn't won a playoff game since 1994. And this feels like kind of the next monkey you get off your back. And so, you know, Ryan, we did the AFC North offseason grades. We gave the Browns an A minus. So I don't know why. Anyone hated the JJ three bargain? I think we, we, we did think it was a bargain. I, I yeah. thought the Browns had the best offseason so far. Obviously we still have the draft to come. They had the best offseason so far of any team in the North. They were already good. So yeah, I, I like them a lot to win the division. If I'd have made a pick right this second, probably taking the Browns, but obviously that could change between now and July. Yeah. I'm probably going to wait and see if everybody's taking the Browns. I'll probably take the value on the Ravens, but I think it would be one of those two teams. It's in the values on the Bengals. Then you should pick the Bengals. By the way, in Dubin's defense, I want what was the JJ three contract? I like calling him JJ three. By the way, was it? It was. It was kind of big. It was kind of decent money. I think. Yeah, uh, good player. It was three years, thirty three million. Yeah. See, Dubin's thing was that it was like bargain basement deals. Like he was finding guys that were like just dirt, like really cheap, who were ended up being. That, that's a pretty big contract. I like. It's a, not a bad contract. But it's, a, but it's not a small contract, I guess, is the point. So good bargain, great player, good move by the Browns, but doesn't necessarily meet the criteria, I think, of what Dubin was trying to do. Uh, final, final question. From 1818 Tim. Oh, yeah. He's old. <laughs> well, or maybe he's just British. Love the show, lads. I'm a huge Steelers fan and listen every day from London, England. Love our international listeners. Thank you, Tim, for checking. Oh, this is from Matthew. His name is Matthew. 1818 Tim is his, his username. My question is this. Thanks, Matthew. What happens to the fans of a franchise when they move? Do they generally pick up the fans of the area they move to, or do they keep their old fans? 
As a Brit and a huge soccer fan, I find the idea of a team moving at all, let alone across a, across a country the size of America, so, so weird. Here, there were near riotous protests when West Ham moved just a couple of miles across East London. I'm a Tottenham Hotspur fan, and some of our supporters were against building our new stadium, the one the NFL has been played at, on the same ground as the old one. Hope you can help me out. Keep up the great work. Matthew in London. Um, so a couple of – first of all, it's been a – it hadn't been like that long since the team moved, but two years ago. Yeah. There's two good examples of the teams that moved two years ago. One, the chargers who moved out of San Diego to Los Angeles and two, the Raiders who moved from Oakland to Las Vegas. One of those, because the chargers fans have become apathetic in the first place in San Diego, left them with zero fans. They have to establish a whole new fans and a whole new city as the second team in that city. And the other one, the Raiders, I think the Oakland fans stayed with them and they established a new fan base in Las Vegas. It's given them a pretty good number of fans, but we also don't know because they haven't played a full season with fans in, the, in, in their own city. Uh, I'll, I'll chime in here real quick, just because I lived in both of those cities. I was going to say that breach. I was going to introduce you, but you were <laughs> such a hurry to, to interrupt me. I was going to say breach has lived in San Diego and he's lived in Oakland. He forced both those teams. So to the leave. Titans are screwed basically. I, I, yes. That's what it sounds like. But I was in Oakland from 2011 to 2015. And that was, uh, the, the end of that was where the Carson California bid came up. So the Raiders were gone. It was just a matter of when they were going to leave. And you San can see Antonio. the fans kind of San Antonio, everything. Fans, you know, and Brinson, you kind of just talked about with the Raiders fans, not really jumping off the bandwagon because that's what you do when you, but the Raiders had a history of moving. Yes. So they were just kind of used to it. And so that, that was the expectation. There were definitely fans that were upset about it. You have this faction of fans that are like, well, I'm never going to cheer for them again. But with the Raiders, that was a small, small number because they have fans in Los Angeles. They have fans all over Southern California. Now have fans in Las Vegas. They have still have fans in the Bay Area. Uh, so I think the Raiders are going to be fine. I think we'll see all their games sell out next year when fans are allowed to attend with the chargers. That was way different. I mean, I was at their practice facility the day after the move was announced, uh, in January, 2017, and there was fans having a bonfire at the practice facility. You can find this on my Instagram page somewhere. I don't know. I have a picture of it. No, thanks. They just made a giant a, a pile of jerseys and everything and just lit it. And Chargers fans basically said, F it, we're done with this. So I think one of three things are going to happen. You either give up on your team. But wait uh, a second, Breach. It, it's important to note that Chargers, the, the mayor of San Diego tried to work with them getting a new stadium. And at that point, it seemed like uh, the Spanish family is like, no, we're leaving no matter what. Well, right? and, and so that's a big part of it is that a lot of the fans felt that the Chargers negotiated in bad faith where the city said, hey, we have the stadium right. proposal. We can put it where Qualcomm is. Qualcomm's not downtown. It's like 10 miles outside downtown. And and, and then the Chargers kind of shot back and said, no, we want this $2 billion stadium and it's got to be downtown. And then there was no negotiating. And so the Chargers look like the bad guys. They are the bad guys. I'm sure Chargers fans are just reveling in the fact that the Spanos family is now fighting and might be forced to sell uh, the team because the sister is saying we're so broke. We're $350 million in debt. It's because Dean Spanos is, has no idea what he's doing running a football team. So yes, I'm sure Chargers fans love that, but really, so you either follow the team when they move uh, well, you st- well, I mean, Breach, to, I was going to say too, yeah, yeah. like a good, the ownership is a really good point. And to tie that in with the Los Angeles thing, Rams fans hate, like 
they hate the Rams. Like St. Louis fans from people who are in St. Louis hate the Rams or hate at least Stan Kroenke because of the, they believe that he also negotiated in bad faith and that, you know, and this is why people also don't like the NFL. They feel like it was a forced push to Los Angeles to make Los Angeles happen. Whereas at least with the Raiders, it feels like Mark Davis, it feels like Oakland, the city of Oakland and whoever was trying to do the negotiation was like just not interested in it. And eventually they just had to move and it felt like they got boxed out of LA. So I think, and he's also Al Davis's son. I think all that sort of matters too, right? And they weren't going to get any tax money with the Raiders because that California just doesn't do that. It's impossible to get a stadium built. Stan Kroenke paid for the stadium out of his own pocket in Los Angeles. That's the only reason that got built. You're just not going to get any help. Uh, Vegas gave them like hundreds of millions of dollars to build that stadium there. And so that was the difference. And I think Raiders fans realized that they said, Hey, look, you're not going to get the tax money in California. We'll follow you. It's a short flight to Vegas. We'll figure it out. Uh, but with Chargers fans, it was some picked a new team, some stopped watching football. Um, so, and you know, there was a few people who stuck with the team, but obviously not much. If you've watched their games, fans don't attend. So I think it's generally one of those three routes that happens, uh, when a team leaves, stop watching football together, picking a team or sticking with the team. So, uh, Brentson, who's your favorite Tottenham player? Uh, Harry King. Thanks for asking. Very good. Boom. You love to see it. Uh, the other thing too, I think, God, why don't I have my dunked on music when I, the one time I got a soccer one interview. time you got a soccer one, right? Um, the, the other two examples I would give, I think that, that makes sense in this discussion. We've mentioned the Browns several times, right? The Browns left and went to Baltimore and became the Baltimore Ravens. Browns fans hate the Ravens and they hate Art Modell for moving them and they hate everything about the Baltimore franchise more, even more so than they hate the Steelers or the Bengals because they are the old Browns and especially because they won two Super Bowls since they got to Baltimore. But those fans, because they hated Baltimore so much, would not become Ravens fans. So they changed the team name when they moved and then the NFL gave the Brown gave Cleveland a new Browns team and those fans all just became fans of the new Browns team, which is why they're so long suffering. It's been since 99, since they returned. The other example of that, the Houston Oilers moved to Tennessee and Houston fans hate Bud or hated Bud Adams because he's dead now. And they hated the Tennessee Titans franchise and they hated everything about that team. And then they just became Houston Texans fans when the NFL awarded them a new franchise. We're not seeing that quite as much just because there hadn't been expansion since then. And I don't know that we'll, I don't know when we'll see it again. And if one of those teams that used to have a franchise will end up getting a, getting it as a result. Like I don't see them dropping. Well, if you're going to move a team, the Bengals is the first team you should move. So maybe that happens before you Jacksonville, Ryan. <laughs> um, and then there was one more example I had of a team. The oh, Colts. The, um, the Colts. Yeah. The move, yeah. The move, the Baltimore Colts and the Ravens replaced the, the Colts who had moved to Indianapolis. And, you know, was it the Colts or the Ravens? Was it the Colts or the Browns who moved under the, it was the Colts when the old Jim Mercer's dad moved them back to the Mayflower moving trucks in like in the middle of the oh, night. And that it was the, it was the Colts, not the Browns, right? I think so. They made how I could have moved both teams. Yeah, it's yes. 1984. The Baltimore Colts packed it up and moved to Indy. But in like the shadow of darkness, like they rolled these moving trucks in overnight, piled all their stuff in and rolled out to Indy and they were just done. Like that's how stuff worked back in the eighties. You could get a little <laughs> crazy with it. Now it's like there has to be formal meetings and like, you know, or some, some butthole with a, with a camera on his phone is taking video of you backing up the truck. Like, Hey, what yeah, are they yeah. doing? <laughs> hey. Um, I'm trying to think, are there any other examples of franchises moving? I mean, by and large, I think it all depends on the relationship. Maybe you could even say that the only one that hasn't been contentious. St. Louis. Also moved to Arizona, right? Isn't that right? 
Yeah, that was real a long time ago. Well, I mean, yeah. you've had teams almost move. The Patriots almost moved until Robert Kraft bought them. The Seahawks almost moved to Southern California until Paul Allen bought them. Uh, so there's been teams that almost moved, but then, uh, you know, ownership stepped in and saved yeah, that, must, that must have been in the 80s because I remember watching the St. Louis Rams, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, moved to Arizona because Arizona Cardinals are a weird mascot. I don't think there are many Cardinals in Arizona. They were the Phoenix Cardinals for a while, and That's then they right. switched it to Arizona. Because the Rams started in L.A., then yeah. they went to St. Louis and they came back. Yeah, that's right. So St. Louis, they, they can't buy it. They can't, they can't catch it. I mean, them. also like these nomadic teams, I mean, no surprise, but these teams that are nomads or, you know, that bounce around tend not to have great fan bases, you know, like they don't have a stronger fan base. Whereas, you know, so I mean, um, oh, it's sort of like the old basketball bit, right? Where it's like, you know, the, the Lakers yeah. moved to Los Angeles where they don't have a lake or they don't have lakes. The Jazz moved to Utah where they don't allow music of any kind. Um, you know, teams are bouncing around all over the place. But I, th- I think the overwhelming majority of these moves result, it doesn't happen because a team is successful and the fan base is happy and spending tons of money. It happens because things are typically going poorly and the government, or re- government in the area isn't willing to cough up cash. The fans aren't happy. And so what ends up happening is these teams move and the fans hate them as a result. I think the Raiders might be the only real example of a team that moved that you know, is still going to have support from an old fan base. And that's mostly because as Breach points out, Al Davis had bounced them back from, you know, Oakland to LA back to Oakland again. They dealt with that. And it's just sort of, they were sort of like a, a motorcycle game. Well, the other thing Al Davis, the other thing Al Davis did was he painted a picture of it's the NFL against us. We can't stay here because the NFL is not letting us. We can't get this stuff done. Because, so you kind of, put the blame on the NFL. So t- telling the fans, Hey, if you're mad about us moving, you're mad at the NFL. You're not mad at us. You can stay what our you're fans. Saying, Breach, is that the system is rigged. Got it. All right, let's go. <laughs> I had to do a radio. And before that, I got to go potty. You got to go. Did you say potty? That's, yeah, that's, to, it's a, it's a rated G show. Let's see. You got to go tinkle. That's Ryan's <laughs> way of ending the podcast. All right. Ryan's Wilson gonna go out. Potty. See you guys later. See you on Wednesday. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.